And underneath and undergirding it all is that when Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross, his shoulders were broad enough to bear even egregious sin like this. And the, yep. the sin of the whole world was taken by him, buried by him, and we are raised to new life in him. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, good, Nick. Thanks. Well, it seems to have turned a corner into spring potentially here in Louisville, which leads me to ask Matt how many parishioners' driveways his kids shoveled out on Saturday. <laughs> Not a single person gave me a call, but they, they almost everybody showed up at church. Oh, so okay, I, praise God. I was, yeah, maybe I guilted them into it. <laughs> no, it's a holy, the holy shaming. Exactly. If you you can't make your whole congregation feel guilty, then you you're hardly worth the <laughs> yeah. Why are you in this business? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's why you got in in the first place. <laughs> well, you guys, it seems like we have to talk more about the abuse case and investigation in the Diocese of the Upper Midwest. Um, for those who haven't been following along, several years ago, a licensed lay catechist in an ACNA church, that's not an ordained role, a man named Mark Rivera was credibly accused of accusing both women and children. He's currently in prison for those crimes. Questions arose about who in the church knew what, when, whether they were responsive or supportive enough to the abuse survivors. And an organization called ACNA2, T-O-O, was formed to advocate for those survivors and to agitate. I think that's a fair word for a certain kind of investigative process and a critical eye on the systems of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest and of the ACNA itself. For a long time, ACNA2 was really the only voice the disconnected public, including the three of us, heard from survivors until last week. Last week, a group of survivors put out through a Twitter account called Believe Us Too, a statement saying, Lots of things, but notably saying that ACNA2 did not speak for them and was, in their view, not being responsible with the facts of the case and letting an agenda of harming the diocese and the ACNA get in the way of actual advocacy for survivors. Now, as of yesterday, as we record this on Tuesday, March 15th, ACNA2 has responded to that statement with a statement of their own. That's entirely possible that more will come out between this recording and when we normally post on Friday morning. So we'll do the best we can here. Matt, I wonder if you would sort of bring us and our listeners up to speed, and then we'll try to sort out what Christian people might do in this situation, how we can pray, and how the redemption of Jesus Christ might be brought to bear even in a tragic situation like this one. Uh, sure. The, the one one correction: Mark Rivera apparently is not in prison. He's oh, uh, he's in jail. Or he he's not even in jail. He he he's been he was arrested, um, and he's been through a series of hearings and those sorts of things. But his trial has not okay. yet okay. taken place, so okay. we're not quite sure um, what will happen ultimately. But it seems like both both ACNA two the people there and. Uh, the people with uh, believe us too, also also together agree that he 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 abused people. Um, yeah, he's an abuser and a criminal. Right. 
Right. So so neither side is saying, you know, free Mark Rivera or anything like that. Both both sides. But but there is it does seem from the the believe us to letter that some of the people who were victimized in this situation feel that the whole process has been co-opted and taken away. They um, they have not felt that the diocese, Bishop Ruck, uh, those under him have failed in their pastoral duty or been negligent in their in their service to people who've been victimized. Um, and in fact, I think that um, the ACNA 2 in, in particular, uh, one leader, uh, uh, a woman named um, Joanna, get her name here, make sure I have it right, Joanna Rudenborg. Rudenborg. Rudenborg, right. Um, who they, the ACNA, I believe us two, I'm sorry, I believe us two people claim this Joanna Rudenberg, who is one of the founders and one of the present leaders of 1882, she was actually participant in the abuse uh, that was perpetrated by Mark Rivera. She not just was she abused by him, but she helped him abuse others, um, they, they claim. And if I could uh, interrupt you for just a second, yeah. it seemed to me as I read ACNA 2's response yesterday, it seemed like that was something that they were willing to stipulate, that she had come clean about yeah. that in the past and that somehow that she was therefore then qualified to remain in the role that she's currently in. Right. The ACNA 2 response said that, yes, that that had taken place. Which is um, wild to me. It really, it really is wild. Uh, which was one thing that's wild about that is that that would never have been disclosed to the wider public had had the believe us two letter not come out. Uh, without without this believe us two letter, Joanna would have been able to continue um, to act as purely victim rather than also perpetrator. Um, and and then that, of course, begs the question, why was she allowed to be at the heart of the leadership of ACNA2 in the first place? Um, even yeah, I mean, the actual had, quote, yeah, the I, actual I mean, quote is, yeah, Joanna has been transparent about her role and involvement in normalizing the abuse of another Mark Rivera survivor from the beginning, disclosing and owning this over a year ago to church and diocesan leaders, to her former Big Rock community members and to the survivor directly. Like that's that is wild. That is unbelievable. It would have been helpful <laughs> um, if that was disclosed beyond. Yeah, you think? The, but that's to, criminal to like behavior. That, that's criminal behavior, is it not? Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it apparently. So let me read what uh, the, the section about her from the Believe Us 2 letter. Uh, Joanna provided material aid and abetted Mark Rivera in the abuse of a member of Church of the Resurrection, one of the undersigned. When Joanna learned of Mark's pursuit of a victim who had who had recently turned 18, I think that's the operative word letter, uh, phrase there, Joanna Rudenberg encouraged and enabled the relationship by providing her apartment for Mark to use for sexual encounters with this victim and by coaching the victim that Mark, Mark's sexual relationship with her was good and acceptable. In this victim's own words, Joanna is second only to Mark in the damage she has caused. Now, through the work of ACNA2, she continues to cause further harm. So I think they would say, well, uh, she shouldn't be in jail because. I read that as I read that as regarding two different people. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I mean, it certainly does cost cast a pall over the organization. Why? Why would they not? 
uh, that, that should have been known widely publicly, not just not just among diocesan leaders and various internal uh, people. That should have been something that they, they disclosed to everybody. So we would know, everyone would know when ACNA two is is um, accusing various people of various things that one of their own leaders uh, was party to the abuse that that happened. Um, so that's that's one issue is is a, is a leader is is compromised. And the second issue is uh, is is that the Believe Us Two group has is under the I think pretty they have some substantial reason for believing this, but under the impression that ACNA Two has more uh, more of an agenda than just making sure there's justice for victims that the the center of the investigation under ACNA2 has shifted, under the influence of ACNA2, has shifted from uh, let's help these people speak up, let's help these people get justice, let's, let's advocate for them, to let's get rid of Bishop Rock and let's, in fact, the Joanna Rudenberg, uh, they have a quote, uh, a text quoted where she wrote um, that, uh, she would like to have the ACNA ruined. She says, I'm worried my team isn't actually woke enough to ruin the ACNA on our own. Please send backup. Um, which means this woman is not only implicated in in the in the abuse, but that she also she, her 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 aim is to undermine the entire ACNA organization. Uh, now, on top of that, she's not even a member of the ACNA. <laughs> she's, she's, she never has been a member of the ACNA, apparently, according to the, uh, the, the Believe Us Two uh, group. So the, the, that's a, that was a third issue. She's not even part of the group that she's, that she's trying to have um, investigate. And then the influence of ACNA Two has been so great, up to this point anyway, um, that diocesan officials and provincial officials have just kind of been interacting with them and letting them kind of take the, the role of, of the voice for um, for the survivors, which is something that they, that the Believe Us Two group wants to stop, wants to, want, want, does not want the ACNA Two to continue doing that. Um, finally, the other, the, 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 the other very large issue is that uh, clergy from other denominations, or other, I'm sorry, other dioceses, uh, namely C4SO, uh, Scott McKnight, who's the uh, who's one of the uh, four uh, uh, canon theologians for C4SO diocese, and uh, Emily McGowan, uh, uh, who's also in that diocese, one of the canon theologians, uh, the Reverend Matt Teb, who's also from that diocese, all as soon as these accusations came out, they they took them, grabbed onto them like a dog with a bone and, and would not let go. And, and the reason for it is, is believe us too, would have it would, would say is primarily ideological. They want to use the pain of, of survivors to further their ideological ends. Um, and there are numerous, there's new great evidence for this. I mean, Scott McKnight, you know, very soon after the, the, the thing broke, uh, tweeted about how boy Bishop Rock, when he was uh, when he was working really hard to keep gay people from identifying themselves as gay Christians, all this was going on in his diocese. Uh, Emily McGowan uh, says, "Fret not over uh, people who want to burn the whole thing down. Fret that people are are allowing this thing to go forward, and we should burn it all down if this is the way things are." This is crazy stuff these people were saying. 
um, and presenting themselves as as, as victim, advocates of victims, but but really uh, all of these people have been upset about Bishop Ruck's role in both uh, putting forward the writing. I assume he's one of the main drafters of the College of Bishop Statement that that said that in the ACNA, people should not identify themselves as quote unquote gay Christian and for his strong advocacy for a complementarian position with regard to a nation. So this crowd from CFRSO is is using this issue of abuse as a wedge to get rid of their political enemies. That's what the, um, the believe us to letter asserts for sure. Yeah, it's a good summary, Matt. I mean, I think you know, I, I've been scratching my head about this and watching, I mean, in somewhat disbelief just about the the sort of levels of complexity now and, you know, wondered, have been wondering now, like, what what could have been the end, what, what could have been a resolution once ACNA2 um, took to sort of social justice vigilanteism, which is what I think really what happened, you know, other than complete complete accession or uh, sort of agreement to their terms or what, like, or, or what would be the, and so I think this is where we're, we're stuck now is that, is it because there was this, this immediate step from, you know, genuine aggravation. I mean, no one seems to be denying that. And we have no, I certainly have no reason to, to, to contradict any of the testimony of the victims um, uh, and nor would I purport to, uh, but for immediate step from from the sort of publication of that to the the public trial, you know, public trial, not simply of again, the Mark Rivera seems to be very quickly have faded into the background because there doesn't seem to be very much disagreement that that this man was was caught. He he needs to do um, be be judged accordingly and serve whatever sentence is is appropriate for his crimes, you know, and 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 that's that seems to be a secondary issue very quickly to what it's become, you know, this sort of um, uncovering of institutional lack of oversight. And, and of course, you see people saying things like, well, this is where complementarianism and patriarchy and, um, you know, all of these things lead to this is this. And it was the, the step between the publication of the grievances and the, as it were, the sort of excoriation of Bishop Rutch and by extension, his theology, his theological positions was was almost instantaneous, which which I think does lean credence to the at least the concern as laid out in this Believe Us Two letter, which seems to be there seems to be something more going on than just deep, heartfelt Christian empathy and compassion for victims, because um, because immediately it went from from this publication. And we talked about this on a podcast once that the, the, you know, the, the principle of subsidiarity about people who actually know, actually care, actually are close to the, to the bone here, you know, are ostensibly, I mean, we have to, to, to a certain degree, trust our leaders, however flawed they are. Um, and the, the history we've seen in the ACNA of, of dealing with the, you know, we, it's not the first time anyone's dealt with these type of charges in a church. I mean, we do have systems and processes and, and um, and ways to work through this, which are not overnight, but they do take time. But, you know, the people closest to the ground were immediately implicated in not moving fast enough, not moving in the right directions or doing all sorts of manner, all manner of things um, inappropriately by people who were, you know, in some cases, thousands of miles disconnected from it. You know, who had, you know, well, I had a, I had a similar sounding thing in my parish. Therefore, I'm going to give you a 10 
you know, a 10 line uh, tweet thread about uh, what they should have done and how Bishop Rutsch is a, you know, is a unfit for leadership or whatever the case may be, or, or, you know, time and time again, there was immediately the jump from, oh, I've heard of something like this. And so therefore this is a, a justification and a, a, um, an example of systemic rot within the ACNA and then particularly this, this diocese. And that's, that's just not only, not only uncharitable, but it's unchristian. I mean, that's, that's the, that's been the hardest part is that there's a, there's a deep, um, you know, charity to our Christian leaders that we don't, we don't blindly follow them, but we prayerfully um, allow processes and gracefully, um, you know, hope for the best in complicated situations to work out and certainly don't presume to know anything more than we could possibly know. And in this case, if you weren't actually in the church, in the diocese, in these rooms, in these meetings, um, how could you possibly purport to know something definitive to the point where you would make these outlandish accusations. And I think that's been the hardest thing to watch because it is a terrible situation, which is anyone who has a daughter, who has friends, who have been around predatory, um, you know, sexual uh, predators. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and thank God he was caught um, and, you know, let justice be served. But um, but to compound all of this in the service of um, of what seems to be, um, you know, a, a, a totally different argument is has made a a sad situation just simply tragic, I think. And even outside who's arguing for what and what their ulterior motives might actually be, it seems like if nothing else, we have sort of procedural evidence now of the Bible's caution against jumping to conclusions on both sides. You know, we get statements and then rebuttals to the statements and then rebuttals to the rebuttals. And this investigation is ongoing. And who knows what statements and rebuttals to those statements will have to come after the investigation actually concludes. But no matter what happens now, it seems like no one's going to be happy with what an investigation can conclude because all the water has been so churned up in advance that it's going to be impossible to hear with, with calm ears, what well, the truth I, actually was. I do think this is why the, the ACA two and other victim organizations need to be uh, handled very carefully by not just the ACNA, but other churches, because there's a new way of thinking about abuse cases that has become prominent. Um, and that is, and I think it's antithetical to the biblical notion of justice. And, uh, and that is when an accusation of abuse is made that immediately you must believe those are making the accusations and they, the people who are making the accusations need to be in charge of, or in some ways controlling, uh, the investigation of that. They, they, they need to be part and parcel of, of the process of investigating the abuse and those who've been accused need to need to need to take steps not to defend themselves. So, or not to, not to, not to take all, not to take full advantage of our legal system. So they shouldn't, uh, they should waive voluntarily the, the, the attorney client privilege, for example. So all of those things, what they do is they tend to, they tend toward mob justice. They tend toward That's right. vigilantism. And, and you get, I think you mentioned the, the word earlier, JD, vigilantism. You get, you, you get a skewed process. Um, the scriptures, especially when you look at the, the process laid out in the Old Testament for, for adjudicating a, a criminal, a, some kind of trial, uh, require, require uh, an assumption of innocence, actually, until 
until there's there's a, a demonstration of proof. I, I understand in abuse cases there can be there can be situations where there's just there's really very very difficult time finding um, proof. But nevertheless, uh, justice can't be can't be handed over to the accusers as well. That's why, yeah. I mean, and, and that's why we have recusals. You know, I mean, like if you're if you are personally implicated in a crime even a heinous one, and if it's a clearly heinous one, that you have all justification for all of your anger, righteous anger, and, you, and, and you're in a position of adjudicating that. You're the judge. You have to recuse yourself because we understand that, that people's passions and their, their, their genuine human emotions, which, cannot, which are not to be, be um, that, that's not a negative. I mean, that's part of how we're designed, nevertheless can, in fact, cloud impartiality and and clear justice because you know if someone you know if someone you know slapped one of my children i'd want the death penalty you know i mean that's just and but an impartial judge would have to sit me down and say son you know i understand this is what you want but um you know this is the law and so this is what we're going to do now of course in a case like this i mean my heart breaks for this woman and in defense of her her daughter and absolutely i mean there's no no possible way that you could not begin to, to get your blood boiling and your eyes glaze over red when you consider what's being accused here. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with the, the deep levels of emotion and outrage, in fact. But that's precisely at the point, you know, because in our, our judicial system, which, you know, when we're talking particularly about serious crimes, which is based, as we've talked about it many times, it's based upon the concept of God's gracious giving of the law for precisely this point, which was to help um, untangle uh, sinful realities in the midst of a fallen world as best we can. And, and one of the things that has been seen for millennia is that the, the victim cannot be the judge. The victim cannot be because that is um, then, then, of course, we will simply turn into vigilantes, um, which, you know, there might be a lot to be said for that. There's a lot of Marvel movies or a lot of sort of dystopic, um, you know, uh, like the Punisher you know, you see these movies. Actually, I was watching The Punisher. Sadly, <laughs> I got caught the other day. But, you know, there's there's a perfect example, a guy whose wife and children are killed. And then he is is justified in just unleashing like untold havoc on the rest of humanity. And so you're sitting there like, well, you know, I get it. Like, you're really angry and you should be. And it's really sad. But that's not a Christian movie, you know. <laughs> um, and again, I think this is where we come back to the the sadness that we pointed out, I guess, months ago now from the very beginning is that is that the the rush to judgment the the sort of impassioned um i think um reckless um statements made by people in authority about these um these very serious and weighty issues have have further complicated an already tragic situation to the point where it's it's just it's really difficult to watch and my heart breaks for the whole thing or the whole thing i know we said this when we talked about this in our previous episode, but it is worth saying again that when we advocate for the presumption of innocence and multiple witnesses, we are not saying anything like we should not care for victims with all speed and with all care and remove the accused from any position in which they might be able to be accused again for the time during which this right. investigation is happening. All of these things need to happen and they do need to happen with speed. But that does not mean assuming guilt. It just means proceeding with a with a process in which the truth can actually come to the fore. 
Well, and here we've talked, we're talking again, the conversation is very quickly moved from what seems to be an acknowledgement on all sides and, and perhaps even through the criminal justice system that this man was in fact uh, a criminal, right? I mean, there's some, some acknowledgement of that, whether he's on bail or whether he's still awaiting trial, but, but that's not really what's being debated at this point, certainly not on the, in the broader um, sort of theater because is, as the letter pointed out, and as a lot of these tweets have alluded to, there is this this sort of smug, broader sense in which um, Bishop Ruck and his his theology, his his positions, and his entire diocese are complicit in the actions of this one seemingly very disturbed and criminally minded man. And that is the that's what's being debated now. And I think, well, that's where the the, the tragedy continues to unfold because I don't know how you pull back from these broad statements of, you know, extreme systemic injustice and patriarchy and misogyny and all, all these things. Um, I, I don't know where we go from there other than saying, well, you know, um, we, we, we disagree or, or yes, you're right. Or, I mean, again, I'm, that's where I talked about in the beginning. Like, I don't know what, what the end goal was if it wasn't simply to have Bishop Ruck and essentially the, the leadership of the diocese step down because short of that, what does the resolution look like at this point? I don't, I don't know. What's well, uh, you know, that's, that's what, what they believe as to um, the people who pin that letter say it's, it says it's become increasingly, increasingly clear to us that other factions within the ACNA who are frustrated at the doctrinal stands that Bishop Stewart has taken in recent years in regard to same-sex attraction and ordination of women have have also coalesced around Mark, their Mark Revere scandal and have made an arbitrary connection between their doctrinal frustrations and Mark's abuse. Even a cursory investigation of those who have publicly supported ACNA2's accusatory narrative against the diocese and have assumed the veracity of the, these accusations, that's interesting, they assume the veracity of these accusations, reveals that many of those who have joined forces against the Church of, of the Resurrection were already at ideological odds with our leadership. We are appalled at the spectacle of priests from within our beloved ACNA engaging in public attacks on our leaders, despite the fact that the investigation has not been completed. Witness the tweet, and here's the tweet from Emily, the Reverend Emily, Emily McGowan, a canon theologian, in the context of discussions about the UMD investigation. Fret not for abuse survivors who want to burn it all down. Worry instead for callous, proud, and unrepentant leaders and their insular, unyielding institutions so committed to their own power and survival that a consuming fire seems to be the only option. I mean, that's just egregious. No, no, no one has been found guilty of in any way helping Mark Rivera, except for Joanne (laughs) (laughs) Rudenborg. Nobody at the diocesan level especially Bishop Rock has been found guilty of, of in any way covering up or facilitating for Mark Rivera. And, and for this, this ordained woman for C4, C4SO to come on and advocate burning it all down. It's just so irresponsible. I mean, I, this, this should be, this should be investigated and she well, should be censured. I, I wanted to specifically ask Matt, our, purveyor of strong words on the internet about this. Sometimes he says strong things on the internet. (laughs) Because um, you yourself, Matt, tweeted the other day about these, these tweets and how they were over the line. And you said, 
that uh, Scott McKnight, Emily McGowan, and other grifters who used other people's pain for their own ideological gain should be publicly reprimanded and stripped of their authority. And I just wanted to give you a chance because I know that people are going to react to that tweet. I wanted to give you a chance here to sort of say, when you say that these are disciplinary level things, what do you mean and why? Well, going back to what we said earlier, wearing this collar is a sign that we're people under orders. I don't have I don't have the authority to um, accuse a bishop publicly of uh, worrying instead for his callous, proud um, uh, institute position or, or protecting his insular institution. I don't have I don't have the, I don't have the authority to go in and, and slander. This is what this is. When you make an accusation like this publicly without any evidence, you're slandering. I think somebody. it's written. I think it's technically libel, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 I think I think Bishop Ruck, if he <laughs> he could probably sue uh, uh, Reverend Emily McGowan and and win this is just it is it is a if if I wanted to bring charges against her, I'm not sure if I can under under our provincial canons bring a charge against someone not in my diocese, but if I were in her diocese, I would be writing up charges against her right now because she has violated her orders. And unless she repents and recants, she should be publicly censured by her bishop who won't do it. And if not, then by the province who, who should do it. Scott McKnight has been just at, just as horrifically outspoken in, in the same way. And he should have the same thing happen to him. Um, and I, again, because of the diocese in which they serve, that won't happen. In fact, Matt Tebb, he all he put forward, this has been screenshotted as on the, the unofficial note, on the unofficial um, page, he had a meeting with Bishop Todd Hunter after the, these charges came out, and he says, and he, this is his his words. I don't know. I mean, Bishop Todd Hunter, Todd Hunter will have to speak for himself, but Matt Tebb said he was encouraged by the bishop to publicly push this case from his Twitter account and to continue, you know, advocating "quote unquote" for justice, doing this sorts of things Scott McKnight and, and Emily McGowan are doing. Um, and that the bishop was was he, he and the bishop were strategizing about how to take advantage of the situation. So, I mean, all of that is incredibly concerning. That uh, that you would use you would, you would use these women have really suffered horrible things, and you'd use that to to go after to go after your your ideological enemies. That's that's just. Yeah, that they're disqualified. If Bishop Hunter was in was part of this, I mean that, that should be investigated. But at least what we know that Scott McKnight's done, and that Emily McGowan's done, and Matt Tebb's done. That sh- those those people are disqualified from ministry. Well, um, you continue to say strong things on the internet, um, <laughs> but I I do think I do think that um, it's a travesty. Like I said before, the way that this has been. Um, uh, marshaled in service of a broader disagreement, just to your point. And, you know, it brings up an even, uh, you know, a, a rel- related issue, which is, you know, Bishop Ruck's positions, particularly on women's ordination and uh, gay Anglicans. You know, these are both positions, both, as you would say, broadly speaking, complementarianism, I would imagine, um, and the actual statement from the College of Bishops are both positions that ostensibly are not only warranted in the ACNA, but protected, protected as viable alternatives to whatever 
Scott McKnight and whoever else wants to um, argue is the uh, proper reading of scripture and should therefore be respected as Christian brothers and sisters in the same church. And if you have people who per- persist, which is, which is common amongst people, um, you know, usually this similar group of people to imply that people who hold Bishop Ruck's position are misogynist or uh, patriarchal in a negative sense or toxic masculine or sort of dismissive in any way. I mean, it's what I would say, dismissive of his position in any way as a ordained press, um, a minister in the ACNA church. Well, you need to really consider whether or not you you're in the right denomination, because we have agreed. And then we've talked about this before, too, but it's heartbreaking for me to see the the way that people who have these positions like your bishop, Matt, I mean, Bishop Dobbs, Bishop Ruck, Bishop, I mean, there's many bishops. In fact, you know, if we took a anonymous vote, I would imagine a majority of the bishops would actually have some version of complementarianism that um, would would and is being publicly uh, slandered and libeled as being toxic masculinity and, and um, uh, misogyny and all of these sort of, you know, catchphrases that get you a lot of uh, Twitter likes and, you know, people pile on because they, they feel, you know, justified in their scorn, you know, sit in the seat of the scoffers, as the psalmist said. But this is our church. You know, this is what's so heartbreaking about it. These are our people. And, and you know, we, we signed up to disagree on this issue. We signed up to understand that there would be a variety of pastoral responses to whether or not people should call themselves gay Anglicans or not. And yet our bishops have spoken. You know, our, our constitution is clear on the, as it were, the quote unquote dual integrities. And we need to, to live into that, not to continue to to fight against it and to to mock it really is what's happening. And so when you see things like this, these dismissive attitudes towards a towards a, a godly man who's not perfect, you know, who's made some, uh, you know, I mean, whatever mistakes he's made, um, I'm sure he'll make some more of them. But but he is a bishop in our church, and we are submitted to the the hopeful uh, flourishing of this province in this in this church. And this this is just another indication of of how the, 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 the sort of disagreements that lie at the foundation, if they're not addressed and, as it were, either dealt with or, or, um, or repented of, or I, I don't know what, but, 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 but laid down, then this is the result. The result is that everyone who disagrees with me on these issues is my enemy. And therefore, you know, when an opportunity arises to exploit a tragedy to the uh, service of bringing down my enemy, you know, we have a righteous vindication for that very thing. And I think that's what we're, we're witnessing right here is that, you know, if you actually believe that every instance of instance of abuse is a function of a in a church is a function of, of toxic, patriarchal, complementarian masculinity gone awry, well, then, then it's just one step, as we've seen, one tweet away, half a, half a day from the discovery of that type of abuse to the put laying the blame at the feet of those who hold those positions. And that's just not only not fair, but it's not Christian, and it and it's, and it's, should be repented of. And I, I totally agree with you in that respect, Matt. And, and that's what we're watching. Right. You know, I, I, I think we've ta- said before that you know, slander is like oxygen for the woke. I mean, the wokeness as a philosophy <laughs> can't exist without it. You, you have to have accusation. You have to. And, and one of the reasons why it's almost always slanderous is because to embrace various aspects of wokeness is to already embrace 
um, some accus some ID some characteristics of groups. So patriarch to you know white people are racist or white supremacist. And so all you have to do is find an instance of a white person doing something right. that could be called racist. And oh, there you go. Look, uh, it proves the point. But you've already had the point right. has already been something you embraced, not through empirical evidence, but through an ideological uh, or philosophical process of persuasion that you've you've accepted and now you're just looking for examples to to confirm right. what you've already accepted philosophically same thing is true with this i mean if you if you already if, if you embrace the woke notion that patriarchy uh complementarianism necessarily plays out in abuse then you're not all you have to find is certain cases of men who are complementarians doing abusive things and but voila that that proves a point so you, right. you don't have to build an inductive case you've already you're you're you've already your case is already established philosophically you're just you're just showing different instances of of the of the case and, you know demay's book was all about this you know the, the uh, american christianity is uh, militant militantly masculine so she doesn't have to build a case from the ground up she just has to give a couple of examples of men right. and, and white men within evangelicals and being militant and masculine uh, in, a, in an abusive way and and there you go that's the case um so you say yeah wokeness in wokeness requires accusation and in the, in the kind of accusation that it requires is, is necessarily slanderous because you're Implicating whole swaths of people on the basis right. of uh, exa examples of one or two or a few. As preachers, what is it that we can proclaim to people who who look at situations like this, whether or not you know how how tangentially or directly related to a particular church is one of the argued points here? But but what can a preacher say to somebody who sees? such egregious sin and confusion and sort of lashing out. And what is, what is the good news here? Well, can I say something first? I mean, I think there's a caution to this that I have at least have, have been, it's been redoubled in my own heart and mind is that, you know, prevention, awareness, protection, you know, like this, these are like, it's, it's paramount amongst uh, local pastors, you know, to, to be vigilant in the shepherding of their sheep. I mean, you yeah. know, that requires, first of all, you know, um, uh, confession in your own life about your, your weaknesses and your um, blind spots, you know, your naivete, all the things that could go into letting you sort of turn a blind eye to things, you know, like, but at the same time, um, you know, that what we're dealing with here is this side of heaven, one of these tragedies that um, that we can do our best to clean up and our best to, you know, heal and learn from. But the reality of it is, is that it is a marred um, situation that is, um, you know, will not be fully reconciled and redeemed until, until heaven. I mean, there's a scar here that, um, you know, for all involved and the part of the pain that we see being, being, um, you know, part of the energy behind uh, this movement is, is legitimately fueled by, by pain and, and heartache and, and um, anger, and and there's no two ways about that. And so the, for me, a part of it is that, you know, we've had longer conversations with our staff. We've talked about, um, you know, children's volunteers. We've been, um, as it were, a heightened awareness that, um, you know, the church is not a um, place where sinners don't congregate, and we need to be vigilant uh, for the protection of our people about, um, you know, in, in in ways that perhaps we think are cynical and. And darker than you would otherwise want but then you have stories like this and you say well i'd rather be a little bit more cautious than than have to go through something 
like this. That's one thing. But on the flip side, I think, you know, in terms of good news, um, I mean, there really isn't a lot of good news in the particular situation as we hear, uh, I mean, from the front end with with respect to this young girl. And um, other than the fact that he was he was caught and he will serve the justice will be served, however imperfectly, this side of heaven. And there is a certain comfort in that, although it's not a final comfort because our justice is never full and complete um, this side of heaven. But there is a um, there's a certain comfort in that. And I think that there is um, a further comfort in the fact that God is the um, healer of wounds. He binds up the brokenhearted. He does, in fact, bring some amount of restitution and res- uh, reconciliation to even the most egregiously harmed people um, uh, by the power of his spirit and because he is the great physician and great healer. And so I think there is there is hope for even the victims who have been uh, who are rightly angered for um, something of a healing of their mind, body and spirits with respect to this situation that that Christians hold out, um, even or perhaps particularly in the midst of the most egregiously heinous crimes, uh, because because we do, in fact, believe that God redeems um, the years, the locusts the locus have eaten. We, we believe that he gives back, um, you know, the, the, the broken areas of our lives. Um, and so I think, you know, again, that's something that might sound cold and detached for me from a thousand miles away, because I am, I'm, I am detached and I'm not right there with them. But I know if it happened to someone in our congregation or a dear friend or someone close to me that, that we would be walking through um, this for the rest of our lives um, in the same hope and the same prayer and the same posture towards the gospel um, as as any Christian would, which would be uh, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice and trusting that that through the midst of this pain, God would in fact bring something good. And I think that's the that's that's at least would be my advice if if it happened to someone near and dear to me in this congregation. I mean, I would just adding to that. You know, Anne says, I know she's not the only one who says this, but she says all the time, it's not a question of whether you have patriarchy. It's a question of what kind of patriarchy you have. Um, you can have the kind of patriarchy where men get into boxing rings with women and beat and pummel them, um, calling themselves women. Um, or you can have the kind of patriarchy that God established where where men um, protect, provide for, uh, and care for the weak and and beat down the strong who would, who would hurt them. So I, I would say just in... in in keeping with what you were saying is that in a, in a congregation, the, the men in particular, the male leadership should strive to create an atmosphere where women and children feel safe. Um, they don't feel there's any, they, they, they know that if someone were to touch them or hurt them or do anything of that nature, that they could go straight to the authority and say, Hey, what this happened and know that they'd be taken care of and protected. And they also need to create a, an atmosphere where a predator knows that he better not come near because there's, there's structures in place and there's men there who, and, and women too. Um, I think this is a particular responsibility of men who will make sure that justice is done um, and do all in their power to prevent any kind of harm coming to, to the people in their parish. So, I mean, I, there's, I mean, I don't know that there's, there's ways to communicate that in, in a, in a church, both from the pulpit and from, and in, in the, your teaching ministry, just if you're communicating, the, the care and the love that Christ has for the weak, as well as, as well as the, the harshness he exercises toward wolves who'd hurt them. Um, there's, there's ways of, there's ways of, of, of communicating an atmosphere of, of safety uh, to, to women and children um, and, and strength to men who want to defend them. Uh, that's, I would just add that to what you were saying. 
And underneath and undergirding it all is that when Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross, his shoulders were broad enough to bear even egregious sin like this. And the, yep. the sin of the whole world was taken by him, buried by him, and we are raised to new life in him. Well, goodness, this is a heavy episode, guys, um, but that is going to be all the time that we have this week. Um, we do pray continually for everyone involved in the situation in the upper Midwest, for the bishop, for the folks involved with ACNA too, the folks involved with Believe Us too, everybody. We pray that true justice would be done, that the truth would come out, and that God's name, even in this, would be glorified. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are, as always, grateful that you took the time to listen to us today. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we will be back, Lord willing, next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. 